When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cowboy Stories. Today I had the opportunity to visit with Lydia Kyle. She and her husband live in New Mexico where they raise their family. Um, I saw a post that she put on Instagram talking about the current situation that they are in in New Mexico with the wildfire and it really intrigued me and I wanted to learn more and I wanted to hear what it's like for farmers and ranchers to have to evacuate during that time. So I'm excited for you to hear her story, and I hope that you can learn something from this. for agreeing to do this. I think it's cool that you're trying to spread the word. Well, thank you for having me. Totally. I, I'm so thankful that you took the time to do it. Yeah. Honestly, I have not, like, I haven't even heard of the fire until I saw your post on Instagram. And that is just wild. And where are you located? We are in Utah. And it's that so crazy because we're just, I mean, we're literally right below you. I know. Uh, yeah. Wild. I'm really surprised. So I was glad that you reached out and that you were um, trying to spread the word because I think that's really important. So um, anyway, if you don't mind, if you just want to start by introducing yourself, tell us a little bit about your background, um, <clears throat> maybe even a little bit about your family's background just so we get a gist of, of who you are and then we can dive into the, the fire stuff a little bit later. Okay. So my name is Lydia Kyle. I am a fourth generation cattle rancher originally from the Great Basin of the North and currently in New Mexico and displaced by the incredibly large Hermit's Peak fire. Um, a little bit about me, I am a wife and a mother. I have three small children at home and um, my husband and I, when we got together. Um, I had actually not been involved in agriculture um, since leaving for college. I went to college and uh, always kind of stayed true to my roots, but really had no plans to coming back to ranching. But my husband, who is a ranch manager by experience and education, uh, we got together and we just decided to head home. And at the time, that was Modoc County, California, which is incredibly northern California. And um, that's where my family ranches. And we were there for about three and a half years total. And then we decided to just go out on our own and do our own thing. And that's how we ended up in New Mexico. Um, and then a lot of people, when they think of New Mexico, they only think of southern New Mexico, which is your typical, you know, desert landscape and Old West movie scene, as to where in northern New Mexico, where we are, 
we're way up in the mountains. Um, we're very close to the Colorado border. We're very close to Utah, and we're also very close to Texas and Oklahoma. So we're kind of up in this little corner uh, that is incredibly different from what they've got going on down south. What was the deciding factor for you guys to go to New Mexico? It was, you know, that's actually kind of a funny story. So we had decided to leave uh, my family's operation just for personal reasons, and uh, we were looking for a job, and we kind of got to that point where, um, you know, nothing was popping up, and, and we'd applied for some things, and we thought we had some good doors opening, and then they would slam in your face, and we're just kind of firm believers that when that happens, it happens for a reason, you know, when when you're waiting for God to open a door, you pray in the hallway, and um, that's what we were doing, and our son, um, our second child, he was born, and I think we were at like his two-day checkup appointment. And um, at this point, I was checking the job forums constantly. You know, I was on Ranch World ads. I was on, um, you know, I, I can't remember the name of farm work and ranch work and just like anywhere where they were posting ranch manager jobs, <laughs> right, even ranch foreman, assistant manager, whatever, because it had gotten to that point where it's like, well, shoot, we've told everybody that we want to leave and now we kind of, you know, excuse my language, we kind of got to shit or get off the pot. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and and you know, it was getting awkward. Of course, my family's not going to kick us, you know, out with, with two babies because at the time, our daughter, our oldest, and our middle son, they're only 14 months apart. And um, so they weren't going to kick us out, but, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be that person that's like, okay, well, we don't want to be here anymore, but, you know, then you're there for another two years. <laughs> and so we're just kind of like, oh my gosh, when is this job, when, when is a job going to come along? And they kept kind of shooting for Texas, right? Because we're, we both went to college in Texas and Texas feels a lot like home, um, just because we still have a lot of friends there and, and community and, so I at one point I'd ask my husband, like, well, what about New Mexico? And he goes, heck no, I don't want to look like a burnt potato chip by the time I'm 35 because he's thinking <laughs> he's thinking southern New Mexico. You know, he doesn't want to be down there. He's he's a southern boy, so he doesn't want to be out in the desert, and um, that's just not really his jam. And we were sitting there, and I just happened to pull up another job board, and this job popped up, and it was just, you know, they were looking for a ranch manager. They specifically wanted a young couple. It was just one of those things where, you know, the stars were starting to align, and then it said New Mexico. And I thought, oh, God, he's going to say no. Like, this this is, like, a great <laughs> job description. Like, this is awesome. Um, and so I handed him the phone. I said, just, just read it. Just read it. I know it's in New Mexico, but just like read the job description. And, uh, he read it. And, um, I think, I think we were hired within the next two weeks. It was all said and done. And we were moved down there in less than a month. So, you know, when the, when God opens the door, he blows it wide open. And that's just kind of what happened. Um, you know, a lot of people, choose to run their own outfits rather than managing outfits for other people. But this is just where we're at in our lives, and it works very well for us. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about the operation that, that your husband manages and how many head of cattle you run, what type of cattle? Just kind of give us an overlook of, of how things run. Yeah, absolutely. And and obviously I don't um I don't disclose the name of the operation and the details just because again we we manage it for someone and their privacy is important. Um but that being said, um we're at very high elevation um and we're in kind of a combination of, you know, native grasses, native pastures and heavy timber, which is part of the reason why these fires have impacted us so heavily. 
Um, as far as cattle, we did a pretty heavy cull in 2020 just because we were in a very serious drought year. Um, we're going into another very serious drought year, but um, we got our numbers down, um, and we're we're running at this time. I think he's at around 150 mother cows. So can you run those cattle year round where you are? Do you have to move to different pastures or allotments or? Nope, we run we run full time where we are. Um, like I said, in 2020, we kind of cut our numbers. My husband likes to go by the philosophy: if you're old uh, old ornery, you're open. You're going down the road. <laughs> and uh, in 2020, we made some pretty deep cuts again, just because we were in a drought year. We were having to supplement, you know, all the way into the summer, um, just because we didn't get any moisture. But we are able to uh, keep things year round. Now that we kind of got a background of, of you guys and what your operation looks like, um, let's talk a little bit about your current situation. And can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about, like, what an evacuation with livestock looks like and how you manage all of that, where they go, everything, yeah. everything you think we need to know? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to jaw for too long, but, um, you know, for those who aren't familiar, cause you know, you said you're in Utah, you're just right above us and you, you hadn't heard about the fire until you saw one of my posts. And so, um, on April 6th of this year, there was a government approved forest service approved prescribed burn, and it was called the lost dispensas prescribed burn. And, uh, that was, uh, ignited on the morning of April 6th, and by 4 p.m. that afternoon, it had been classified as a wildfire. Um, It was not very far from the ranch. It was about nine miles, um, but the winds were blowing it away from us. So it it was devastating. Just at that time, it was not devastating for us. There were communities that were being burned. There were people being evacuated. Um, as early as that, you know, April 6th. And it grew and it grew, but again, it was blowing away from us. Um, then on April 19th, a second fire started and it was the, the reason, the, let's see, the cause of that is quote unquote under investigation. Um, and I say this in every podcast that I do. I, it is my opinion, purely speculation, that it, it was most likely an ember from that original fire that sparked the second one. That's just what makes sense to me personally. Yeah, so I, the read first an, I read one, a few articles on that. Mm-hmm. Of other yeah, and, and it's just under it. investigation because, I frankly, I feel like they're not willing to fess up to it yet. Um, but we all know that the original fire, the Hermit's Peak fire, started from that prescribed burn. And then the second fire was called the Calf Canyon fire, which was still about nine to eleven miles, nine to eleven miles away from us, um, and but again, it was blowing parallel to us, so it was not a threat. We just watched and watched and watched, and um, and and that's a hard feeling to watch because you you're obviously thankful that it's not coming towards you, but at the same time, you know the devastation on the other side because it's almost kind of like survivor's guilt, you know, because you're sitting there and you're like, man, I'm sure glad I'm not in the path of that thing. But at the same time, you're calling neighbors to make sure that they're okay and they don't need somewhere to go and all of these things. And then on April 29th, um, I, on it, it was really strange. The wind shifted. And I was in town and my husband called me and said, hey, have you been watching this fire? 
And I'm like, I mean, no, it's been going on for a month at this point. Like, what else is new other than the fact that it's it's a fire? And uh, he's like, well, I, I think you need to come home and start packing some stuff because this wind shifted and it's moving really fast and, like, it could technically come down on top of us. And, you know, honestly, at the time, I kind of thought he was overreacting. Um, but my husband is Mr. Prepared, and at times like these, I'm very thankful for that. And so I, I listened, and I went home. I was running errands in town, and um, and by the time I got up to the ranch, because it's a pretty steep elevation climb, by the time I got up to the ranch, um, I just remember thinking, like, oh, shoot, he's right. Like, that is really big, and it is coming right towards us. And um, so we just kind of packed the essentials. My husband went ahead and gathered our horses. Um, you know, it was just, in our mind, it was more of a priority to get the horses out um, than it was the cattle at that time, simply because my experience with horses are if, if anybody's going to panic and do something stupid, it's the horses. The cattle, they're pretty dang unbothered by pretty much every emergency situation. Like, they just really don't care. As to where the horses, you know, they've got that, you know, they've got that flight instinct that can get kind of dicey when, when things go south. And so he went and gathered up the horses. We had about 70 or 25 head on the ranch, and so he got them all to a central location where they would be easy to load up if we needed to. And I just started kind of packing the essentials at the house. And um, outside of one thing I will say, and, and this is just a piece of advice that I heard, um, I, I don't even know where I heard it, but keeping all of your important documents in the same location. So, so not, you know, some on your bookshelf and some in your junk drawer and some in your desk drawer and all over the house, all of those important documents, you know, your birth certificates, passports, cash, um, you know, if you have any legal documents that are important, uh, horse registration papers, insurance, titles to vehicles or trailers, you know, just all of those things that if the worst were to happen and you had to prove who you are and what you owned, you want to have that all in one location because if, heaven forbid, you only had five minutes to get out of your house, you can grab whatever that is. I recommend a firebox, um, not because it's a firebox, but just because they're, they're big and they're heavy and they're easy to, to keep in one location. And they lock so you can keep small children out of them. <laughs> but, um, you know, just keeping all of that in one location. And so luckily it wasn't hard for us to track down those things. And then... I obviously packed, you know, some go bags for, for me and the kids um, and just, you know, the, the bare minimum, toothbrushes, and I actually forgot my toothbrush, so don't forget your toothbrush if this ever happens. But, um, you know, just jammies, and, and I packed one stuffed animal for the kids each, and we put all that by the front door so that it was easily accessible. And then I kind of went through the house and just mentally asked myself, if the worst happens, if if this house burns down, what am I going to miss in five years? You know, what are the things that in five years I'm going to go, I miss that thing? And for everybody, that's different. You know, it could be your photo albums. It could be a family heirloom. It could be a piece of clothing. Like, it's different for everyone. But those were the things that I chose to grab that felt irreplaceable to me, you know, like dishes can be replaced, but your grandmother's china probably cannot be replaced. That may be something you want to consider taking if you have time. And this is all based on 
how much time you have, right? So um, then we, we honestly, we went about our day as normal. Um, we we kind of got to that point where, you know, we looked around and was like, okay, well, I guess we're ready to go if we need to. And, and my husband just kind of started doing, you know, random preparation stuff. And um, I, the kids and I had dinner because he was out doing stuff. And I put the kids to bed as normal. Um, and again, this is, this is April 29th. So it's almost a month ago now. Um, and, and then the kids went to bed and we were kind of standing on the lawn. It was me, my husband, and one of his friends. And we were just watching that, that glow from the fire. You know, it was off in the wilderness. This is a glow. It's big. It's bright. Ooh, ah, you know. And, um, then we watched those flames come over the peak of the mountain that is essentially in front of our house. And, um, I mean, we were watching two 300-foot flames. Uh, We saw a fire tornado. It was just like you're kind of in awe of it for about a minute. And then I looked at my husband. I was like, me and the kids are out. You know, if he he wanted to stay behind and, and try to, you know, do whatever it was that he was going to do, you know, that's, that's his prerogative. He is the head of our household and he will make choices how he needs to make choices. But I told him, you know, me and the kids are out. Um, and so him and his friend loaded up the stuff that we had set aside in the horse trailer that was hooked up to my truck. Uh, my husband did decide to go ahead and, and bug out with us. We went down, we loaded horses. This is all happening at around nine, ten o'clock at night. Um, so we went down, we loaded horses. We had some neighbors that came up and loaded horses with us, uh, and then we headed down the mountain. The thing that's crazy to me is, you know, by the time we decided to leave, got the horses loaded, made that decision, um, it was, I mean, it took us a solid two hours. I I mean, solid two hours to get that done. And um, we we never got an evacuation notice. We never got a, a... you know, emergency alert. We ne- we never got anything. And when we were pulling out of the driveway with those loaded down horse trailers, that's when we finally saw emergency vehicles going past our place to go evacuate people that were further into the wilderness than us. But and I don't think that you know that delay has anything to do with you know law enforcement. I I have tremendous respect for the way that they have handled all of this. They are stretched way too thin. They are stretched across multiple counties. Um, I think, honestly, it just goes to show how fast it happened. No one expected it to come down that hard, that fast, that hot. And it and did. Especially from the, from the opposite direction of where it was going before. Exactly. What it like and we have just learned through this entire process, the the wind during these situations and the wind can blow in New Mexico. We're not talking like, you know, a 20 mile an hour breeze. We're talking 40, 50, 60 mile an hour winds all day long. And that wind has been the number one reason why this fire has gone on this long and why it has gotten this big. And it is it is now for the past week been the largest fire in New Mexico state history. It's hard to comprehend. Um, it truly is. Yeah, it truly is. I think the last number that I heard 
um, was yesterday. Um, what's the date today? The 23rd. So on the 22nd of May, the last number that I heard was we were up to 314,000 acres, uh, and it is 40% contained. What does what does the future look like for for farmers and ranchers? Like, are are the cattle still out there? Did did you guys have to relocate? Did any of your neighbors have to relocate their cattle? So we, a lot of people got their livestock out, and it really just depended on where they were at. We chose to leave the cattle behind, not because the cattle were not important, but because we actually really didn't ever see a major threat to where they were. A lot of the ranch is heavy timber, but those areas that we have grazed, there's very little fuel in those those pastures, those mm-hmm. um, open areas, I guess. So it, people who were, you know, a, a lot of what's in our county are, you know, generational family farms or small ranches. And some of them are very high up in the timber. And so they were definitely directly in the path of this fire. There were a lot of families who had to evacuate everything if there was any chance of it surviving. There were a lot of people who didn't have time to do that. We just evaluated the situation Um, My husband cut some fences to give them an escape route to go farther away from the fire. If they needed to, they ended Mm -hmm. up not needing to. Um, Because, again, when that fire came down, so, for example, you'll just have to kind of go on a visual journey with me for this one. Um, The same pasture, the same section that my house is in, we had our older mother cows, uh, their herd was in is in that pasture, and it had a fairly heavily timbered area, but it then turned into more of a native grasses type pasture. So you had kind of a timber line, and then it came down into the pasture. That fire came down that timber line, and it was coming hot, and it was coming fast. But as soon as it hit that grass that had been grazed, not overgrazed, just grazed, it just kind of petered out. Um, it came across the pasture, and it lost a lot of its heat, um, so it wasn't coming very hot. Once it hits grass, it can go fast. Anybody in Texas can tell you how fast a grass fire can go. But because a lot of those forages were short, a lot of them had been grazed, it just petered itself out. And those cattle, literally, the firefighters, they told my husband, they just moseyed away from it. You know, this it's like they knew. It's like they knew that it had lost its, you know, oomph to kind of overtake them. Um, had they not had those open areas to get away from it, absolutely they would have been in danger. Um, but we just kind of evaluated the property the, as, as we knew it. Um, obviously, my husband went to some of the, the captains uh, from the hotshot crews and said, you know, this is how I feel about it. This is what I'm thinking. Obviously, they know fire a little bit better. Um, and they just kind of had a meeting of the minds of, you know, I know cattle and I know what my, my forage, I know what my fuel levels are on these pastures. You guys know fire. What do you think? And they just agreed, you know, give them an escape route. If something crazy were to happen, they will find it. Um, And the interesting thing is, is 
those cattle actually went back to those burned areas right after it burned. It didn't, it didn't even phase them. Um, other cattle we moved farther away, um, but again, we chose areas where we had large open areas so that if it were to get in that timber, they could get away from the timber because the timber is what is fueling this fire. It is not a grass fire. It is, it is purely timber that is fueling this because our timber is so dry right now, it is actually drier than cured lumber that you could get from Home Depot. That's wow. how severe this drought situation is. So these trees are not even, they're not only burning, they're exploding um, because they're so dry. And just giving the cattle that ability to get away from, you know, those heavy fuels was the best that we could do. Um, and luckily, you know, we were right. Had we not had the ability to get them away from those those heavily timbered areas, we would have had to figure out a way to get as many cattle out as we could. And I know there were a lot of people who had to make that choice. I think that's so interesting that you brought that up because as sad and as scary and as frustrating as all of that, as all of that sounds, it's really cool to see how cattle definitely help with fire mitigation. Absolutely. And how grazing is important for that and how like, logging if there was less timber around absolutely you know it just kind of goes to show that that the less fuel it has it's not going to go as far but you guys have seen it firsthand like grazing that pasture slowed the fire down like there wasn't enough fuel for it to keep going as hot as it was absolutely and and you know it's it's not it's not to uh dote on you know our pasture management we're we're still in you know we're still in a severe drought like they're they're not a whole lot that you can do um, in in these situations to to mitigate um, mitigate the the fuel load on on these places, but we did see that the cattle benefited the the areas where they were um, and and almost kind of protected themselves with just doing what they do. Um, you know, you you asked what's it look like moving forward, and it's kind of a two-sided coin because, and and one of the questions that a lot of people have been asking is, oh my gosh, what are you going to do for summer feed? You know, are you going to have to get rid of everything? What are you going to do? And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is we were preparing for a drought year anyway. You know, we didn't even get any winter. You know, we the typically this time of year, um, even on a mediocre year, we would have snow-capped mountains. You know, we would have you know, some snowpack up there. We would have water in the creeks. Like, we ain't got nothing. So we were mentally preparing for, you know, hard, a hard year, a hard summer with no pastures regardless. And what mm-hmm. you do during that is you just supplement. You supplement and you downsize if you have to. So now we have burned pastures um, <laughs> because they did a ton of back burning and then also obviously the fire came down on us. So not only do we, you know, have to deal with drought situations, we have these burned up pastures, but the reality is is nothing really changed in our mindset as far as what are we going to do for summer. It it was we were already mentally prepared to kind of deal with this. It just wasn't wildfire that we were dealing with. Um yeah. but that being said, the other side of that is, you know, anybody in agriculture knows the positive power that fire can have. 
you know, a, a well-placed prescribed burn on pastures is great. Um, so what we are going to see moving forward, our pastures are going to be in great condition. Um, you know, all of that timber that burned, yeah, we're going to have to figure out how to get that cleaned up, and that's going to be a huge job. But at the end of the day, we're going to end up with more grazable acres. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not going to have pastures that are 3% grazable because of the timber up there. We're going to have pastures that are now open. We're able to go grass. We're able to graze. Like, this is going to be good in the long run. Um, but right now, we've got to, you know, we've got to get through the sludge that we're in. Um, so I feel like there is always a bright side. I will say we came out fairly unscathed in the grand scheme of things. There are people who have lost generational family homes. There are people who lost everything. Um, you know, it's, this is going to be something that our community as a whole will be recovering for, from for years. Um, mm -hmm. I, I definitely do not want to take for granted the fact that we came out pretty unscathed in the grand scheme of things. However, it needs to be acknowledged, especially by those who gave the green stamp of approval on the original prescribed burn, that this is going to devastate our community for years to come. Um, it doesn't matter how many people came out lucky uh, on the other side. There are still tens of thousands who didn't. As of right now, the last number that I heard, there are 26,000 households that are currently displaced because of this fire. And are you guys still displaced? Yes, or? we are. Um, they have technically lifted the mandatory evacuation from our community. Uh, however, the fire burnt the power poles that supply power to our house and to our headquarters. And so we have no power. And I am honestly preparing to not have power for the foreseeable future because, oh, my gosh. And, in again, I mean, this spans multiple counties. It spans hundreds of miles. There are 26,000 people displaced. Like, our power poles are not the only power poles that burn down. And they're yeah. going to have to just, you know, get through what they can get through. So I'm just mentally preparing to continue to be displaced for the long haul. Um, we currently are staying on another ranch. They had an empty cow camp that they offered to us, which we are so incredibly grateful for. Um, we're planning to move back to the ranch just into one of the empty houses that does have power um, and just make it work. Um, and again, we're, we're incredibly blessed. Um, all things considered, this is a minor inconvenience in the grand scheme of things and yeah. we're we're just count we're just thankful that it was not as bad as it could have been but also you know praying for those families that lost literally everything yeah yeah well i i definitely appreciate um your look on things and how you're able to see the silver lining through all of the hardship yeah and honestly in times like this i i i think i i honestly my heart hurts for people who don't have a belief system. Um, you know, obviously, uh, we we are believers in Christ. Jesus is our Savior. Um, but at the end of the day, I, my heart hurts for people who don't have any type of belief system when these types of things happen because, whew, oh, my gosh, it, there have been days where that is the only thing that has kept me 
you know, just grounded in the situation um, and and being able to eventually get perspective. You know, have I cried? Have I kicked and screamed? Have I gotten angry? Absolutely. But you come back down from that and you take a deep breath and you move forward. And I just, I can't imagine doing that without some sort of higher power to believe that they're, at the end of the day, somebody's got my back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I I appreciate your time and sorry to take away from your family for a little bit. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I know, you know, we live in such a fast-paced world that these types of things, they come and they go. But at the end of the day, the fact that you're acknowledging that it's happening and sharing it with your network, I just, I so greatly appreciate you taking the time. 